Hi, welcome back to the We Critique Podcast. I am your host, Cade Marks, and I am joined today once again by my brother, Casey Marks. Hi, guys. Congratulations on recently graduating high school, Casey. Thank you. So, today's episode... Well, I should I should back up for a second. It has been, let's see, like four and a half months since the last episode. Whoops. <laughs> been a busy semester um i i think last time we recorded one we said the next one we would talk about mank <laughs> oh really that, yeah um well we did i mean we watched it we'll talk about it briefly uh later probably still need to watch alien 3 right yeah and then after we watch alien 3 we can do our definitive david fincher ranking so on to the subjects of this episode. Today we're going to be talking about a couple new releases. We're going to be talking about Monster Hunter Rise for the Nintendo Switch. We're going to be talking about Invincible, a new Amazon Prime original TV show. And then we're going to go on to our top five video games and TV shows of 2020 and top ten movies of 2020. Alright, and then finally we're going to rank all 11 Hayao Miyazaki movies. So that even includes Lupin the Third, the one that he did before uh, Studio Ghibli was formed. Actually, I guess technically Nausicaa was before Ghibli too, but that is the docket for today. So let's get started by talking about Monster Hunter World. Rise. Rise. <laughs> <laughs> World was the one that came out on Xbox One, PS4, in 2018. But yeah, we're going to be talking about Monster Hunter Rise, the new game on the Nintendo Switch. So, you and I have both been playing this game a lot in the last week or so. I've probably got like 25-ish hours in so far. I imagine you're a little under that. Probably like 11 or 12 hours, right. I guess. So, for those unfamiliar with the Monster Hunter series, it basically consists of this gameplay loop where you are going on these quests to hunt down these big monsters, and then um, after you hunt them, you gather different parts, and then use them to make new weapons and armor so that you can go take on bigger monsters. <laughs> yeah, and what really makes this game so special are the monsters themselves and the weapons. So the monsters in this game are a lot of crazy variations of real-world animals and dinosaurs, like... Uh, one of them is like a cross between a T-Rex and a chicken. It's called the Anjanath. That was another one that was in Monster Hunter World. We've also been fighting this one that's like a cross between like a chimp and a bird. Yeah. <laughs> What's that one called again? Uh, I have no idea. I don't remember. There's also uh, one of the more iconic monsters in the series is the Rathalos. It's basically like this giant dragon looking thing that mm -hmm. spews fire and uh, and has a poisonous tail. And uh, the Magnamalo is one of the cooler ones we fought lately. Yep. It's this giant beast that has hellfire, which is like these purple clouds that it can then ignite, that explode, and do a, Does a shit lot ton of, of damage. damage. Yep. And we've also seen uh, that thing, the, the Magnamalo, jump on top of a Rathalos and like battle with it in the air. That was epic. Yeah. yeah. Um, that 
brings up another good point, which are the Turf Wars, which I believe were introduced in Monster Hunter World. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong since that was the first game I played in the series. But it's essentially these naturally occurring events where two of the larger monsters will battle each other. It can be during a hunt, which is super useful, Mm. not only because they do extra damage to each other, but also because you can get extra upgrading materials from the monsters, even if you're not fighting them, as they just break off as they fight each other. But yeah, that's uh, really, really entertaining to just watch the two beasts go at each other. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely is. Very much uh, Godzilla versus Kong vibes. Yeah, it reminds me of that every time I see Tier 4. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to get into a full review on Godzilla versus Kong. We do really quickly want to just mention our thoughts on it. Um, it was silly, stupid, kind of fun. Yep, I agree. It was enjoyable. Didn't have good writing. No, bad acting, bad writing. But uh, it it's is fun to it see is. two giant things fight each other. Yep. And back to Monster Hunter. Uh, the other super special thing about this series are the weapons. You've got some crazy weapons. Uh, one of my favorite ones that I use is the switch axe, which basically transforms between a sword and an axe. It's insane. Yeah. Um, I should also mention that these weapons in this game are very complex, and each one has a learning curve, which makes it super rewarding to keep using each weapon. There's somewhere between 10 and 12 weapons, I want to say. I could be wrong. It might yeah, be 14. I'm not sure. It's around that. Yeah, but to just give it an example of the complexity of these weapons, one of the more basic ones is the longsword, which works by building up a gauge as you land consecutive attacks on the monster, and then once you fill it up, you can do a combo by just spamming the right trigger that then powers up your sword to another level. It goes from like the default state to like white, then yellow, then red, and at each successive level, it does more damage, and you can also regress down a level by doing this... like jumping attack where you soar into the air and then plunge down on the monster doing a ton of damage and you've also got these like sheath attacks where you sheath your weapon and then like bring it out in an attack that do extra damage and can do things like add this effect where your um your bar automatically fills up and uh casey you've been using like the dual blades and the hammer do you want to describe those yeah so for the dual blades it's uh two daggers that you have in or like one dagger that you have in each hand and what you could do is just, like, spam a bunch of attacks and do, like, flurry rushes and all that. Then you could engage demon mode, um, and it will deplete your stamina at a higher rate, but will do a lot more damage and get a lot more hits in. And I believe there's, like, arc demon mode, but I'm not sure. I need to test the weapon out a bit more before I could actually master it, but I'd say I've been using a lot more the hammer, which is just a really fun bludgeoning weapon. If you just want to take a... Um, a really big weapon and just do like a lot of damage within three hits it's very yeah. satisfying it's also got some really cool swinging attacks yeah. yeah it has the um it has an attack where you can basically spin around or if you want to use the other mode you can um press the i believe it's the a button to change modes and do like one big or two big hits dependent on where you are and um yeah it's very fun yeah it looks like it and those impacts are always very satisfying with the hammer those huge like sweeping hits so yeah hopefully that gives listeners an idea of how insane the weapons are in this game i mentioned the switch axe there's also one that switches between a sword axe and shield (laughs) like the charge change blade something like that um oh yeah i haven't even messed around with that one yeah but there's also a weapon that is a an instrument 
where you play different melodies to power up your teammates yep. and then do the big hits. There are uh, bow guns, which are these large guns that yeah. you can like collect different types of ammo to use through it. Yeah. There's a bow. There's a lance. Uh, sword and shield is a very popular weapon. A lance gun. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of awesome weapons and monsters in this game. Yep. And uh, it's made by Capcom. This one is made in the Resident Evil engine, the new one that powered games like Resident Evil 7, the 2 and 3 remakes, and now Resident Evil Village. So it's a very powerful engine. And the graphics in this, uh, I'd say, are they're, they're really good for a Switch game. They're not yeah. quite as good as Monster Hunter World just because of the limitations of the platform. But in terms of other differences from the last game, this one introduces a few new changes to make mobility around the game um, much quicker and easier. So you've got the Palamutes, I believe they're called, the, which are basically canine companions that you can ride around the map. And they also can help you attack the monsters uh, in addition to your Palicos, the cat ones. You also have the Wirebug, which is a new uh, addition to the series, which lets you essentially zipline, not zipline, um, grapple hook, like leap around, and you can use that in combat too for new abilities, which makes it a very interesting addition. So as far as general impressions, where would you say we are with this game right now, Casey? Uh, I say that we're having a lot of fun playing it. Um... It's just like it's very addicting with the grinding system. Yeah, and you keep it's on hunting very, these big monsters. Very compelling loop. Yeah. Uh, today I was struggling with getting a particular item from a creature. I fought it twice and still have not gotten that item. Gotten, so that's you're missing kind the of... electro sex. Yep, missing from, those electro sex. What's the monster? It's the Kezu, I believe. The Kezu, right? Yeah, we're just doing the. I think we're on like the two star hub quests which are the ones that you can do in multiplayer oh yeah we should mention this is up to four players multiplayer i believe we've just been playing it together and then you've also got the village quests which serve as the single player part of the game so i think we're around the two star Level. three star yeah three star i believe for the three star for the village quests so yeah it's we've been having a lot of fun with this game i i i definitely see myself playing this for a while longer we think we're going to play it on the plane when we're taking our our, our vacation this summer and hopefully it'll... I definitely want to get to the end game. I've never been to the end game in a Monster Hunter game. The first Monster Hunter game I played was World, and I only put probably like 20 hours into it. Oh. So I didn't get that far. But I'm definitely looking forward to playing and seeing some of the late game monsters. I think like Elder Dragons are what they're called. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I definitely recommend the game for anybody who's interested. Even for those who have tried the series and not necessarily... Uh, found themselves super hooked by it. I think this entry is a really great starting point, even more so than World, I would say, just because of the new quality of life improvements, like having that wire bug in the Palamute to make traversal a lot easier. And the maps themselves are a lot simpler, which makes quests a lot easier conceptually. It's still a really complicated game with a lot of systems. I feel yeah. like even though I've been playing this game for like 25 hours, I understand maybe 20% of it. Yeah. I yeah. still don't understand the whole weapon upgrading, like how you unlock certain um Yeah, that tree upgrades. is a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah, um, there are a lot of systems. I feel like I'm interacting with only a small percentage of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Monster Hunter Rise. I keep wanting to call it World, but it came out on Switch probably like a month and a half ago, and we are really enjoying it so far. Yep. So next we're going to talk about the new Amazon Prime show, Invincible. 
And for those who don't know, it's an animated TV show about superheroes. And I should preface this by saying it's a very adult show. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of in the same vein as The Boys, another Amazon Prime original superhero TV show. And they're both extremely violent, um, very adult in their themes as well. But this one, I'd say, is more tasteful than The Boys. I feel like The Boys is often just going for shock value with a lot of the things that happen in that show. And this show has a more... I think the characters are more sympathetic. Uh, I find the story itself to be a lot more compelling. And it's 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 about this teenager, Mark, who is just recently discovering his superpowers. And his dad is this Superman-esque figure voiced by J.K. Simmons. And, uh, yeah, the main character, Mark, is voiced by Steven Yeun mm-hmm. from The Walking Dead, Minari, Minari Okja. Burning. Burning. So, yeah, we've definitely been really entertained by Steven Yeun lately. We want to see what he's got coming, and we also need to see more of his movies because he's a great talent. Uh, there are a lot of great actors in this. You've got Sandra Oh uh, as the mom. Uh, also, Mahershala Ali oh, in, yes. a, in a minor role. Mahershala is always a win. Yeah, Jillian Jacobs. Uh, for Yeah, she was in Community. Yep. Actually, it's Gillian. Sorry, Gillian Jacob. Jacob. <laughs> Gillian Jacobs. Yeah, Sandra O. Oh, Zazie Beats plays Amber. Walton Goggins. Yeah, Zazie Beats. For those who don't know, she's in Atlanta, Deadpool Two, uh, Joker. Yeah, Jason Mantzukas. You got your classic Mantzukas voice. Yeah, an incredible voice cast for that show, and we've both really enjoyed the first season. It came to kind of. A shocking conclusion, Yeah, I think it's fair to say. We won't get into any spoilers here, but it is well worth a watch. Yeah, it has uh, very interesting relationships, I'll say. Yeah, and um, season two has already been announced. They've already confirmed that they're going to make a second season, which is good, because I think we can agree that this is the most exciting new show of the year so far. Yeah. And we'll uh, end up talking about more tv shows a little later when we talk about the best of 2020 so i say a little later i guess we may as well get into that now unless there's anything else you want to say about invincible um yeah let's go for it sure so uh let's start with our favorite tv shows and unlike the director rankings we're not gonna try to come together and agree on any list we're just both gonna go back and forth starting with our number five so, Casey, why don't you get us started with your number five TV show of 2020? So, this one's tricky because I haven't watched that many great shows in 2020. So, I kind of slotted it to Mandalorian Season 2 or Staged Season 1. I'm kind of in between one of those. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you know what The Mandalorian is. It's part of the Star Wars franchise and features a bounty hunter played by Pedro Pascal. And then Staged is kind of a lesser-known show with David Tennant and Michael Sheen, where they basically conduct, like, a show over Zoom calls. And uh, season one was pretty good. That's all I so have to that, say about that. <laughs> and that, that's one that made use of that, like you were saying, the Zoom calls format in order to make the show during the pandemic. Yeah. Because it started, like, really... At the worst of things, um, in mid-2020, I think. Yeah. So, on to my number five TV show. Let's see, I've got a list here. 
My number five is Tiger King. Oh. <laughs> the cultural phenomenon. Forgot about that. Yeah. Tiger King. I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, it's also depressing to see how these animals are treated. I mean, I, I won't bother talking about it too much because everybody knows about Tiger King. I, I don't have anything new to say, really. I enjoyed it. It was definitely an interesting watch. Definitely helped get through those early weeks mm. of lockdown. Yeah. All right, Casey, you're number four. My number four is The Good Place Season 4. Um, I can't remember exactly what happens in this season. I think it's about, like, well, I should, probably should not say well, as to spoilers. Um, yeah, I it guess has... we won't spoil anything, but this was my number six, by the way. I thought, yeah, it. I, I really thought it was a satisfying conclusion for the yeah. show. We could just say, like, what the show is about. It's about, like, um, Christabel plays a woman who, um, finds out that she is woken up in the good place. She died, and now she's in the good place. And, um... At first, she doesn't think she belongs, and so it unravels from there. Yeah, and this season specifically deals with, like, the, I guess, the permanence of the afterlife and, like, toll that that can take on you. So, we, um, yeah, I think we both agreed that it brought it to a good close. It did. It's very intelligent uh, of a conclusion. Yeah, that show does a good job of weaving, like, TV comedy with philosophy i think <laughs> yeah and it is a show written by mike sure the writer of parks and recreation and i believe he wrote some of the office and played mose dwight's cousin in the office interesting so. interesting there's your daily dose of office trivia from casey yep all right on to my number four it is solar opposites the new justin roiland show co-creator of rick and morty about a family Kinda. Yeah. They're not really a family. They became a family. They're basically a family of aliens on Earth, and it's just a whole lot of shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of shenanigans. Uh, a lot of... It, yeah, I think on a pure comedy level, I might think it's even a little... It, it slightly surpasses Rick and Morty, I think, in terms of pure humor. It's not as smart, I don't think. It's it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's less dark and ironic, but it, it is a very good, well-written comedy show, so... Check that one out. Um, the art style is pretty much the same as Rick and Morty's. Yeah. All right. Casey, what's your number three? So my number three is Solar Opposites, which you just mentioned. And I'll just say like a bit more about it. It was you know created by Justin Rowland, who made Rick and Morty, or co-created Rick and Morty with Dan Harmon. And uh, I think it just it's really fun with how they parody certain movies, TV shows, etc., such as uh, the episode when they... Um, basically parody um the prestige by christopher nolan yeah that was one of my favorites and i love the whole wall thing They're yeah they small have a, people they have this subplot where the the boy in the family um basically just miniaturizes all these people that he doesn't yeah. like and then sticks them in this elaborate like animal display in the wall yeah and then they build up this society inside the wall and it's just this fascinating subplot that goes through both two seasons that are out so far yeah i've always been fascinated by like how um when people are small they could just uh, like a problem that they run into is an avalanche of nerds or you know <laughs> yeah, fight make... each other with little toothpicks or something right yeah they make really good use of that scale i yeah. guess so my number three is The Queen's Gambit. 
the Netflix show about Beth Harmon, the prodigy chess player played by Anya Taylor-Joy, and I thought it was just a really well-written, really well-produced show. It didn't go on for too long at all, and um, it made me want to play more chess. Yeah, we played a lot <laughs> like of chess. Like a lot of people. Yeah, we played several games of chess. I further learned how to play chess because of that show. Yep. Great show. Great acting. I believe it's renewed for a second season, is it not? I think I heard something about that. I don't know. It seemed pretty contained. I I guess I'm not sure. I'll, I'll look it up after this, but I, I'm not aware of that. So, Casey, you're number two? So, my number two is also The Queen's Gambit. Um, yeah, just very well acted and well written. Has great themes. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Alright, and on to your number one. Wait. Number no, one. my number two. Hold on. <laughs> what? My number two. Oh, right. Uh, my number two is How To with John Wilson. And this is a show on HBO. I don't know how to describe it exactly. I guess I'd say it's just this guy, John Wilson, walking around New York filming everything and then editing everything together to follow a loose theme through each episode. Like, um, one episode is about how to make small talk. And then he just weaves these like in- insane things that he just randomly finds filming through New York and ties it to this theme. So so there's one episode where he um, is talking about how to split the check at a restaurant. Ah. And so he uses that to like use this theme of fairness. And he ends up at this referee shop. And then he finds out at this referee shop that there's this meeting of all these local soccer referees. I think it was soccer referees. It might be a different sport. At this meeting, all of the workers seem to be kind of upset towards the people in charge of the league. And at one point, like, there's this guy who keeps, like, basically treating them like children. Like, all right, we're not doing this raffle until everybody throws away their trash. Like, everybody throw away your trash and stuff like that. And then they do this raffle and then somebody else, one of the higher-ups in the league, wins and then all these employees start to like get like together like shout out that it's rigged. Oh. And then <laughs> these all these disgruntled referees start like stealing stuff from the event because they're so upset. And wow. it's just this fascinating portrayal of this subculture that we just would never see otherwise. That sounds interesting. Yeah, you really got to check out the show. I How should. to with John Wilson. Also, it's produced by Nathan Fielder from Nathan for You, another show I really got into this year. So, what streaming platform is it on? It's on HBO. So is Nathan okay. for You. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now on to number one, best TV show of the year. Casey and I both chose the same show for this one. So speaking of soccer, yep. referees, I suppose, our last show is Ted Lasso. Yeah. So this show is about an American football coach who uh, is employed by... Uh, like this premier like, football club in England. Yep. So like soccer club, I should say. Yeah. It's stars Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso, this coach, and a lot of it, a lot of the show is just about him learning how to coach a British soccer team, and it's just really wholesome and yeah. also really funny. He manages to like be this super positive character who just like by, out of kindness ends up enriching the lives of everybody else in the show, and it's a really entertaining wholesome uplifting watch and i'm not somebody who cares about sports particularly no me neither but this show manages to be incredibly entertaining despite that yeah very much and um 
Jason Sudeikis was very charismatic playing the role of Ted Lasso. And, Definitely. And uh, I believe Jason Sudeikis actually won an Emmy for his performance, so it's definitely recognized. Yeah, certainly. And there are a lot of really likable characters in the show. Yeah. Like Roy Kent, uh, Keeley. Yeah. And then um, the manager of the club. Uh, what's his name? The Nathan? Nathan, yes. Nathan. He's like the groundskeeper. Yeah. And every, yeah, it's just a great show. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, even if you don't like soccer, even if you don't like sports, check it out. Incredible show, great jokes, very uplifting. Yep. All right, uh, that's all for the TV shows. Now let's get into our top five video games of 2020. All right, top five video games. I'll start first on this one. So my number five best video game of 2020 is Doom Eternal. This is a follow-up to the 2016 uh, Doom reboot, and this game just improves on that one in pretty much every way. It's got faster combat. You can now, like, grapple around and grapple into enemies. It's got, like, a shoulder cannon, and you have all these interesting new ways of managing, like, resources. So it basically turns into, like, a puzzle at the same time as it is thrilling, super-fast combat where you have to like manage resources like you run out of ammo for one thing and then in order to get more ammo you have to use the chainsaw and in order to get more fuel for the chainsaw you have to i don't know um whatever i haven't played it in a while <laughs> but there are all these resources you have to manage and it it makes it really interesting and keeps you um keeps you on your toes the entire time you're playing for this roughly like 12 hour long campaign so that was a really great game casey what's your number 5 um, number five is, I mean, it's not really entirely a new game. It's Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Bowser's Fury is the new part of it, and it's kind of just like a remaster version, a remastered version of the, the Wii U original game. Wii U game. Yep. And uh, it's just a really fun, like, 3D Mario platformer that you can play single player or multiplayer. I played mostly online with my friends since they added that really great feature. Um. It was just a blast, like, going through each level, and, um, like, the fun thing about multiplayer is you can compete, which, um, it's not much of a competition because my friend is a lot better at <laughs> that game than I am, so, uh, there's this feature where, like, if you get enough points, then you keep the crown, and then, um, you got the crown <laughs> pretty much every game, and then my only chance to get it was by knocking it off of his head just by ground-pounding him in the actual <laughs> game. And, uh, yeah, it just turned into, like, is this really a co-op game or are we competing? And, I don't know, that's a really fun yeah, mesh. That's one of those examples where those modern 3D Mario games are still incredible examples of um, platforming game design. They have incredible, like, new mechanics yeah. all the time. Absolutely. And I've heard great things about the Bowser's Fury part also. I've played some of it. I haven't completed it, but... It, it's not my favorite part about the game. All right, my number four is Hades. This is the new Supergiant game. Uh, Supergiant Games, they made Bastion, Transistor, and Pyre previously, if you've heard of those. They're a very accomplished indie game studio. So this game is a roguelike where you're playing as the son of Hades, Zagreus, and you're trying to escape the underworld in Greek mythology, so you have to battle all these monsters and use different mythological weapons in mm -hmm. order to battle your way out of the underworld. And I've, I've found this to be a really compelling roguelike. I, I think I've put more time into it than most other roguelikes, maybe with the exception of, like, Spelunky, 
And I, th I found the combat really fun. You are constantly making progress and upgrading these weapons and uh, getting these power-ups that make the game really dynamic and interesting. Yeah. I think uh, we'll probably talk about that game a little more in yeah, the near future. Yeah. So, Casey, what is your number four? So, my number four is Cyberpunk 2077. Um, very, very inappropriate game. I'll say that. <laughs> Um, it's like, it's really fun. It's a really fun open world game. Uh, RPG from, yep. um, CD Projekt Red, the developers of the Witcher games. Yep. Which I have not played, but, uh, yeah, uh, you could just do a lot of stuff. Like you could do the main quests or just have fun riding around on an Akira motorcycle, basically. <laughs> uh, the Kusanagi, yeah, the, I don't know, something like that. And, um, so, yeah, you could customize your character, and, uh, there are certain features that you can either add or not. What do you like about, uh, do you like the characters in the game? Keeping it vague. Uh, the characters? Yeah, like, uh, Jackie yeah. Wells. Yeah, um, Jackie Wells. Pan Am. Pan Am. Judy. Judy, yep. Um, yeah, there are good characters. Uh, Takamura is another one. It has a good cast. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you who know about this game know that it does have some glitches. Some technical problems, yeah. yeah. That's why I haven't played it yet. I'm waiting for them to release the um, the next-gen version of the game so I can play it, hopefully, more complete. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. I just didn't want to wait. Um, I've played a decent amount of the game. Uh, I got pretty into it. Yeah, that's what I have to say about that game. Sweet. All right, my number three, Animal Crossing New Horizons. So this game took up a lot of my life when it yeah. came out in March last year uh, during the pandemic. Basically, I had nothing else to do, so I just sunk a bunch of time into Animal yeah. Crossing. And I really fell in love with the charm of the game. It's very wholesome. It's got this really great loop of just like improving your island and mm -hmm. making it look nice, making things look pretty. Yeah. <laughs> catching new and like catching new fish and bugs to add to the collection of the museum. I just found this to be a very comforting game in a time where a lot of people needed it. Yeah. All right, Casey. You're number 3. So my number 3 is also Animal Crossing New Horizons and I agree with everything you said. Uh we definitely played it a lot. I remember like during um like quarantine when school was online i would just like get on my laptop do school and then when classes were done i would just you know check the turnip prices and <laughs> uh yeah it, it had a really fun like daily grind to it at first and um like the whole gambling system with the turnips was both fun and uh frustrating at times uh i played a lot of this game especially during quarantine yep all right my number two is ghost of tsushima the playstation exclusive game about the samurai jin sakai who has to defeat all of the mongol invaders of his island of tsushima uh off the coast of japan and i just found this to be great samurai fiction i thought it told a really good story I wasn't super gripped by it in the first few hours, but I really got into the game after that. I did a bunch of the side content, probably sunk over 60 hours into the game in total, and beat the story, and I thought the ending was also very good. So, incredible um, incredible game. That's my number two for 2020. Nice. So, my number two, which I know is definitely your number one. Yeah. 
probably in your top three of all time, if I had to guess. Yeah. So it's Last of Us Part Two. The game and that I've recorded yes, an entire you did a whole podcast, podcast about. on. Yes. So I won't talk too much about it. It like I didn't personally play it. I watched Cade play it. Yep. Um, I watched the entire game. And man, the narrative in that game, like it makes you cry and I was in tears smile. multiple times. It's the I'm just gonna say it's the best story ever told in video games. Yeah, for sure. Uh it like it it man, what do I say? It's just it's breathtaking. Yeah. Alright, Casey. Number one. Oh no, it's you number one. My number one. <laughs> Last of Us Part Two, we just talked about it. You're number one. Oh, okay. So my number one. Hades. It's got to be Hades. Now, um, you definitely got me to buy this game. And yep. at first I was like, man, this I don't know if I'm going to like this. It's a roguelite, so I'm going to get pretty pissed if I die <laughs> and then have to start the whole game over, right? And then it wasn't like that. It was actually fun to die because then you, you could start over and um, further progress your weapons. And um, I think the really fun thing about the game is every run feels different because of all the god boons and the different sets you can make with that and the duo boons is a feature where you can combine boons and like create a new ability basically mm-hmm. and um and sometimes like i just get an entirely new boon like i've only gotten probably like four legendary boons or something like that so every time i get a new one it's all exciting um and you've actually beat the game yes, several times at this point I've, i haven't beat it yet so I beat the game either, maybe, okay, yeah, I think it was over 10 times, at least 10 times, maybe like 15 or 20, honestly, I don't know, but you get like a different ending with the 10th ending, uh, the 10th, um, time you beat it, yes, 10th time you beat it, and there's another ending, it seems, though, because if you friend enough gods, I haven't gotten there yet, but if you friend enough gods, then... It seems that there's going to be some final ending, like conclusion to the game, hmm. which I don't know what it is, but that's how it seems. That's just kind of the impression I get. Right. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that game a lot. I, I still want to beat it. I've gotten very close a couple of times to beating the last boss, so um, I, I don't know if I'm going to try to get like the true ending or not. I, I think I've kind of enjoyed my time with it, but I'm almost ready to just leave it at this point yeah as, as soon as i beat that final boss i get that and i mean we could probably agree as like people who play a lot of video games that rage from dying to bosses a lot is honestly essential for like a good video game experience because it makes it more satisfying when you eventually do beat that boss yeah and this is one of those games it's why i play dark souls <laughs> yeah I, it's super I rewarding that. to beat like to overcome a difficult challenge in that's, a video game yeah, that's that's, that's one of the like feelings that Seems sort of unique to video games as a form For of sure, media. Yeah. So, there, there you go. Those are the definitive best video games of 2020. <laughs> Nobody can argue with that, yep. even though we didn't play a lot of games. <laughs> if Jacob was on the podcast, I'm sure he'd be talking about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, because he's played a lot of that game, and I've heard really good things about it as well. There are several games we didn't get the chance to play. If your favorite game wasn't on this list, or your favorite TV show wasn't on the list we talked about earlier... Maybe we just didn't just didn't have time to play or watch it, you know? Yep. We're, we're busy. We're busy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, we're going to talk about our... Well, not finally for the podcast, but as far as our review of 2020 content, we're going to talk about our top 10 films. So, why don't... 
Actually, let's before we talk about our top ten, let's go through some honorable mentions that weren't on there. Do you have any honorable mentions you'd like to talk about? I know I want to mention uh, Onward is my number sixteen. I think Onward was a Pixar movie that came out about like people in a modern fantasy world. Well, they're elves, I suppose, yeah. and they have to go on this quest to like try to see their dad one last time who passed away when they were both young, and it's really heartfelt. Um, Soul, another Pixar movie, actually comes in at my number twelve spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll I did talk like about it, it a lot. I did like it a lot, and I've I've since watched a um, video where a therapist talks about it, and I I think really? I think I like the movie more having seen that perspective. I mean, while we're talking about Onward and Soul, I mean it, it's Pixar. They're going to draw some strings and uh, yeah, or pull some, pull strings, some strings. I mean. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very emotional and very great themes. Yep. Number 17 for me was The Invisible Man, Elizabeth Moss, in this, like, thriller horror role. Thought that was a good movie. Um, other ones that are in my top 10, Palm Springs, very entertaining comedy. Yep. First Cow was a really interesting look at, like, early America um, and, like, uh, an intimate friendship that developed. My number 11 was Kajillionaire. Which is the movie that stars yep. Evan Rachel Wood as this girl in a family of thieves and basically con artists. And I thought it was a really emotional story. Yeah, that was, uh, I think it's kind of an underrated movie, to be honest. Definitely, definitely. You don't hear many people talk about it, but yeah. It, um, it's certainly strange, but... Unconventional, which is not a bad thing. No. It's, it, you know, it, it variates from the standard... But it did a great job of portraying their family relationships in that movie. Yeah, for sure. There was some definitely... Disturbing parts. Toxic relationships with the parents. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, any others you want to talk about that aren't in your top ten? Uh, let's oh, see. Oh, Tenet. Obviously, we talked about Tenet at length on the Christopher Nolan podcast, but that comes in at my number 15 spot. I think in a lot of ways it's the best and worst of Nolan. It doesn't do a great job of making me relate to any of the characters, and it's really kind of a confusing mess of a story, but... Also has some incredible ideas that make you think. So. Yep. And I, I think it, as like a method of storytelling, the way it plays with time is really interesting. It just gets kind of convoluted and hard to follow. Yeah. Um, some honorable mentions of mine are, I'd say Supernova is one that, I don't know, it had really good themes and emotion in it. That's and the one with Colin Firth. Colin Firth and Stanley and Tucci. Stanley Tucci, right. It was a film about like... Um, a couple who, um, like, one of the people in the couple struggles with ongoing dementia, and it just keeps on getting worse and more hard to watch. Uh, the Father, similar film, like, it deals with uh, Anthony Hopkins playing an old man with, is it dementia? or Either dementia or Alzheimer's. Oh, one of those. Um, Promising Young Woman, it's pretty good be honest that's the carrie mulligan carrie mulligan uh disturbing revenge story i i haven't seen it so yeah. it's about her basically getting revenge on date rapists essentially yeah yep that's that's a good people who take it. advantage of women yep who are drunk on the rocks directed by sophia coppola yep um bill murray rashida jones rashida jones's character believes that her husband played by uh marlon wayans is cheating on her so, if you want to find out if he is, then watch the movie. It was pretty good. Pretty good. I, I like the relationship with uh, between Rashida Jones and 
Bill yeah. Murray. Okay, uh, let's get on to the top ten. I'll let you start us off, Casey. So, my number ten... Hmm. Honestly, I was a little fuzzy with this one, with what to put. I put Tenet. No pun intended, because it's number ten. But, I mean, it just it, it's one of those films that just made me really happy watching... And that might not be based on quality. Like, I know it was very confusing, and it was kind of hard to understand, like, for but, most yeah. of the movie. Conceptually very interesting, though, with yeah. that mechanic of the time inversion. And also had some great action set pieces. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think it was as bad as most of the people think it is. I think it was decent. So, my number 10, Casey just talked about it, is The Father. Uh, I thought it was really heartfelt. I was probably in tears by the end it is kind of heartbreaking anthony hopkins is incredible olivia coleman is incredible in these roles of well she's the daughter of anthony hopkins who's suffering from dementia or alzheimer's losing his memory and the hardship they do a great job of portraying how difficult that is to go through from both sides and also the filmmaking itself does certain things to mimic yeah. the disease in in terms of having unreliable events mm-hmm. and like making bringing in different actors to play the same character cool, so that you it? don't recognize it them. was um uh she was moriarty in... from sherlock uh the... what uh, not moriarty my bad mycroft oh mark gaddis yeah mark gaddis yeah mark gaddis was in it um it also introduced olivia williams playing the same character as olivia coleman olivia williams she right. was in rushmore mm-hmm. um so that you don't recognize these characters and you can sort of empathize with the position he's in because the filmmaking itself makes you question certain things it's, that have already yeah, happened. It's one of those like unreliable narration Narrative. movies. Yep. That is The Father. Casey, what's your number nine? Number nine is Another Round. It is a Danish movie that also goes by the name Druck. Uh, directed by Thomas Vinterberg, who created The Hunt, uh, which I have not seen, but it has Mads Mikkelsen, just like uh, in this movie. This movie is very interesting because it is about a group of guys who Who work at a school. Yep, who work at a school. All of them work at a school and believe that having 0.05 blood alcohol content influences how their emotions like... Basically, it makes them more productive. Like, they think that they can, by being sort of buzzed, they can do a better job of um, teaching their students. Mm -hmm. And they are more, like, alive, more helpful to their students because they can connect i think that whole scene where mads mickelson is teaching his students about like um or he plays the game with the three people and it's like churchill hitler and oh um fdr like basically naming traits and getting the students to pick who they would elect based on just the traits yeah they all choose who ends up to be hitler yeah just because like he describes him as like not drinking much, being um, patron of the arts or whatever, and like then just using that as an example of his students that I mean those superficial things aren't necessarily good indications of a leader. Yeah, and um, the whole him and his wife like better connecting because he uh, started to be more aware of his surroundings and pay attention to the people who he care whom he cares about. He becomes more passionate. Yeah. But then inevitably, all of it kind of collapses when they end up drinking more yep. and more. They and... keep on increasing the alcohol, and yeah. it just it which is gets kind worse. of nerve wracking. And yeah, 
It's kind of hard to watch near the middle and the end. But then the end itself is pretty great. Oh, the end. Like, not saying too much. Mads Mikkelsen is a very good dancer. <laughs> yes, he is. All right, my number nine is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman movie. I watched this once, and I'm not going to pretend I understood it very well, but it is really, really interesting and does a great job of messing with your mind. And it's not straightforward at all. There's a lot to interpret in this movie, but it just has, does a really great job of establishing this tone and atmosphere of just sort of like dark confusion. And then when you kind of realize at the end what's actually happening... It, it becomes sort of heartbreaking, but very interesting. So, great movie. So, I haven't watched this one. Is there any, like, generic and broad way to describe it so I can understand? Like, um, The basic premise is that it's about this woman going to meet her boyfriend's parents. Okay. But it, I mean... It's Kaufman. It's not a straightforward story, yeah. <laughs> I'll say. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman... Also made, Bane John Malkovich, uh, Anomalisa, mm -hmm. what are some other famous Kaufman movies? Um, uh, Cinde uh, Synecdoche, New Synecdoche. York. What's the one he wrote with, I mean, he didn't direct Bane John Malkovich, that was Spike Jones, but he wrote it. He also wrote the one with Jim Carrey and Eternal Kate Sunshine, Eternal of, the Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's right. So, he makes weird movies. Alright, Casey, what's your number nine? Number nine. Oh, wait, you just did your number nine, didn't you? Yep. What's your number eight? Uh, I put Kajula in there. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about it, so... We don't really need to yep. talk about it too much more. My number eight is Boy State. This is the only documentary on my list, but it was really interesting. It's on Apple TV. It's about this program that apparently happens in like every state, but this one is about the program in Texas where it's essentially all these... Uh, boys who are juniors in high school going to this program where they um, simulate politics and it's really interesting and actually offers some insight into the politics on a grander scale of our country and the way that they have to essentially like betray their own personal beliefs in order to try to get elected and there's some really interesting characters that they choose to focus on in this documentary. It's interesting that they picked these people at the very beginning of the process, not knowing that they would end up having these pivotal roles in these elections. That it, it, it all accumulates in this gubernatorial election for the governor, essentially. Huh. And um, yeah, great, very interesting uh, documentary. If you're interested in politics at all, or even if you're not, uh, definitely check it out. What is your number seven, Casey? Uh, so my number seven is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Right. The movie about... About... It's about we say a girl who needs to get an abortion, and she can't. So she, in, in where, well, wherever she lives, they won't let her. So yeah. she has to go to New York, and it's very... It feels real. Yeah, right? it's, it's a, the movie does a great job of making it feel realistic, and it, she is... A very sympathetic character. Yes. She and her friend, I think cousin maybe? Yep. Go to New York to get this abortion and... Then there are all these just really scummy people and um, like uh, the guy, her, I believe it's her boss who oh, like yeah. touches or kisses the hands of her yeah. and her cousin. God. It is. 
it's a kind of like an alienating it makes you feel like pretty cynical about the world at large yeah this movie so that's that yeah um my number seven is minari um I'll, I'll go ahead and save my conversation about that so we can talk about it when it comes up on your list okay um what's your number seven casey or number six mank david fincher yep and this is my number six also, so we may as well just talk about it now. Yeah. This is the newest David Fincher movie. It's about uh, Henry Herman Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. Herman Mankiewicz, that's right, the writer of uh, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane and the process of him writing Citizen Kane. And it has all these really interesting politics in Hollywood. For instance, it has this um, election for... Shoot, what is it? There's an election at the heart of the movie between different candidates and Mankiewicz ends up... Well, I, I won't spoil it. Basically, between Upton Sinclair for, like, socialism and the more conservative um, candidate and the role that Hollywood ends up playing in propagandizing one way or another, essentially. Yeah. And I'm just going to say from a purely cinematic standpoint, this movie is kind of a work of art just by um, the way David Fincher... Also, this movie was written by his dad. Yeah, it's written by Um, Jack Fincher, is it? Uh, I, I'm not sure what his name was, but I think he's passed since. So David Fincher made the movie based on his dad's script. And like it's black and white. Yeah. Um, oh, the, starring like the, Gary Oldman. Yeah, starring Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. Yep. Uh, Charles Dance, some others. Yep. Uh, didn't it have Bill Nye? <laughs> yeah, Bill Nye played Upton Sinclair. Yep. I heard his voice. I don't think it ever showed him, but I like it showed him from really far away. And I heard his voice. And I was like, is that Bill Nye, the science guy? <laughs> <laughs> not the other Bill Nye. Not We're the talking other about Bill the Nye. science yep, guy. The science guy. He's in the movie. And it's uh, it's composed by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who yep. are obviously members of Nine, Nine Inch Nails, Nails yep. and now they do a lot of scoring, such as a lot Especially of Fincher's for Fincher. and yep. yep, Watchmen. Et yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. Very well told, very well written. Yeah. All right. Um, my number five. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. We already talked about it. What's your number four, Casey? My number five. Five. What's your number five, Casey? Uh, my number five. So, uh, it's Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed playing a drummer who is slowly losing his hearing and trying to grasp how his life is going to change. And it, it's just, it's very heartfelt. He goes to yeah. this camp full of people who are deaf and I believe maybe some are mute. I'm not sure about that. I think they're just all they They might be all deaf. deaf. Yeah. And... This one scene stands out to me in particular when uh, Reza Med is on a slide and then he has drumsticks. Or no, he doesn't have drumsticks. He's just like banging his hands on the slide so that the deaf kid, there's a deaf child who is... Um, at the top of the slide, yeah, basically, the top just of feeling the, slide, the vibrations. You can feel the vibration of the music and that's yep. just, that's powerful. Yeah, I thought it was a really powerful movie. Um, Riz Ahmed's performance was spectacular. And the great theme of uh, deafness is not something to cure. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very socially important. Yeah. And also the movie had great filmmaking in terms of actually limiting the audio for large portions of yeah. it to um, put you in the shoes of, of Riz Ahmed's character. And um, when he goes through this surgical process to try to regain his hearing... It has this like very metallic distortion Mm -hmm. to sort of simulate what that would be like. And yeah, it was a very interesting portrayal of what deafness is like. So that's a, that's another great pick. All right. 
Um, number four. Let's let's do your number four first. My number four. Yep. My number four is Minari. Yep. It's... So that was my number seven. Let's talk about Minari. Okay, let's do it. So it has Stephen Young, who we were talking about earlier. Yeah. In Invincible. Yeah. He's um, the father of this Korean uh, family of immigrants. At least the mom and the dad are immigrants. I think the children were probably. Yeah, I think so. And he's like a farmer. Kind yeah, of they he struggling. They're working as like chicken um sex readers or they left like, like they separate chickens based oh, on their right. sex and um yeah he wants to start this farm in rural america and this like the hardship that they go through is this family just a great portrayal of what it's like to be um, um a first generation immigrant family mm-hmm. in the states uh yeah great great uh, acting too yeah great acting uh the grandma i believe won best supporting actress interesting for an oscar interesting yeah great movie all right my number four and casey's number three same movie portrait of a lady on fire mm-hmm. so this is the french movie directed by celine siama starring um adele hanel and naomi merlon i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right <laughs> But um, this is the story of two women. Basically, one of them is a painter, and she's supposed to make this portrait of the other woman in this house, and they're all secluded. And then it's this like brief romance that mm-hmm. ensues, and it is shot beautifully. There are some yeah. incredible shots in this movie. Um, I agree. It's very uh, slow and silent and like intimate. In mm-hmm. terms of their relationship, and also has one of the best endings of any movie I've seen in a long yeah. time. Yeah, it's a good uh, ending. Yeah, uh, everybody's talking about this movie. I don't know that there's much I can add to the conversation, but incredible movie. My number three is Sound of Metal. We talked about. Um, Casey, what's your number two? Number two is Soul. So the Pixar movie starring Jamie Foxx as the jazz pianist. Yep, and Tina Fey as Twenty Two. Yep. So in Soul, it's a Pixar movie, and if you know me, I love Pixar. Like it's just always been a part of my childhood, and I think I'm going to always love these movies. Just makes me feel such great emotion. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it's basically about what would you say? Someone learning like what life is about. Yeah, he's well, he falls down like a manhole. And so he's in the hospital in a coma and, like, almost goes to the afterlife but manages to escape yeah. from being sent to the afterlife. And because he um, he felt he was content with his life, so he didn't want to die yet. Well, he wasn't content. He, or he, he was, Like he was saying, he my life to, was just getting started. Yeah, right? he wanted to He almost goals. had this opportunity to be this, uh, to perform with this jazz band and like pursue his dreams and then right as that's happening he's about to die and so it's all about him like discovering what his life's purpose are and like him helping 22 find her spark so Mm -hmm. that she can go to earth and yeah it's a very heartfelt story i i think it has a a really great message about what it means to be alive and this is by one of the greats in my opinion pete doctor who made up which is one of my favorite movies of all time yeah um Inside Out, which is, which is a really great one also, and Monsters, Inc. Yeah. 
So, just great classics. Yep. Um, also, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yeah, incredible score for that movie, too. Yeah. My number two is Another Round. We talked about it already. I don't know if I have anything to add, except, yeah, great performances. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is incredible. And it's incredible to watch him sort of spiraling as he goes through this uh, alcoholism, I guess. And mm-hmm. then that conclusion where it's sort of like a, I want to say conflicting euphoria, I guess. It's a good way to put it. All right. So we both have the same number one. Apparently so do a lot of people in the Academy because yep. it won Best Picture. Our number one is Nomadland starring Francis McDormand. Swanky. Swanky. Gotta love Swanky. Uh, yeah, Swanky plays Swanky. David Swaythern. And Linda Or Straythern, my bad. Yeah. Yep. So th- this is a movie about a woman who is... Um, her husband died a while ago, and now she is beginning to travel the country as a nomad, mm-hmm. um, finding temporary jobs where she can just to live year-round around the, around the country. And it's this... In- uh, like like I was mentioning with How To With John Wilson earlier, it's this really interesting portrayal of a subculture of America that you don't get to see very much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's a really great glimpse into these lives of people who live completely different differently to to ourselves. And I, I think the performances were all great. Um, what, do you, what do you want to say about it, Casey? Um, well, it's directed by Chloe Zhao. Yep. And I think... The whole thing is that some people who are nomads are settling down and living in houses and Frances's character kind of just doesn't know where to go. So she's kind of traveling from place to place and isn't sure if she wants to settle down or just keep on finding a destination. Yeah. Uh, and it has these great um, shots of these landscapes all across the country. Um, very, very interesting cinematography in yeah. this movie. And a lot of the people are real yeah playing yeah, themselves exactly it's very authentic it feels it doesn't feel like a movie almost it feels like you're watching documentary a, yes a documentary <laughs> yeah incredible movie um we both gave it like five stars on letterboxd because well actually i did i don't know if you did you gave it like four, four and, and a half, half but yeah i give it five stars i think it's near perfect incredible movie very good all right that is the end of our 2020 segment only almost six months late so <laughs> yeah. we had time to uh now think it up we're going to talk about hayao miyazaki the studio ghibli legend yes uh of animated films and we're gonna rank all 11 of his movies so we will get onto that right now all right um let's start by just talking about how we got into ghibli movies in the first place I'll say the first one I watched was Spirited Away in a high school film class in like sophomore year. So I saw that and was kind of blown away by its creativity and the like wonder of it all. It's mm-hmm. incredible animation also. And so I showed that to Casey maybe a year ago. I think it was 20... Hmm. I'm gonna say 2019. Alright, well, it was a while ago, and then since then we've um, watched all of Hayao Miyazaki's movies, and you've seen most of the Ghibli movies at this yeah. point. So, what what do you think it is about these movies that is so special? Well, it's similar to Pixar. Uh, they're really, like, they're really good, feel-good movies. And a lot of them are, yeah. They have really good themes, like all of the economic themes, which we will and get into later. And industrial, like... Um 
Environmental. Yep, environmental. Um, very well animated. Great characters. They have a lot of depth. Yeah, it's all just so creative. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's like magical. You know, when people talk about Disney play Disneyland as like this magical place, that's like the sort of feeling you get from watching a Ghibli movie for sure. So let's start by just listing them all off in chronological order. The first one to come out was Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. That came out in 1979. Wow. So old movie. That was before uh, Ghibli was even formed. Then Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind came out. And after the success of that movie, they formed Studio Ghibli. And then Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Porco Rosso, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, and The Wind Rises. Yep, that's all 11. Sweet. All right. How do we want to start by ranking this, Casey? Let's... I mean, I feel like we can both agree pretty easily on our number one spot. Yeah. Yep. But Maybe number two. Let's do the same thing we did with the Chris Nolan movies where we sort of like tiered them and then ranked them within those tiers. So top tier, I'm going to say we can include Spirited Away. Howl's Moving Castle. Howl's, yep. Kiki. Um. Maybe. I don't know. Totoro. I mean, Kiki's great. Yeah, let's do Totoro. Okay. Um, anything else? Mm. Let's just leave it there for now. Yeah. Then second tier, Kiki's we can do delivery Kiki's service. delivery service. Princess Mononoke, I'd say. Um, sure. Ponyo. Ponyo, yeah. Let's see, any more? Uh, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to throw the Wind Rises in there. Oh, okay. Alright, third tier. Uh, Castle in the Sky. You think? Yep. Nausicaa. Porco, Ro uh, Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. And then you have Lupin. The third castle of Cagliostro. Is that all of them? Yep. Sweet. Okay, let's start at that at that bottom tier. What do you think is the worst of all of the Miyazaki movies? Now, this is saying a lot because this is still a good film. Yeah, these are all good movies. <laughs> yeah, they're all great. Uh, I'd say Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. So, Lupin the Third is at the 11 spot. Castle of Cagliostro. So let's talk about this movie briefly. It's his first movie. It's based on like a long-running uh, manga and anime series. About a thief named Lupin. Yep. And I got very Scooby-Doo vibes from this movie. Yep. It's in Me a too. castle and there's a lot of wacky stuff and people in this, in this movie. Yeah. It's still a really interesting adventure mm -hmm. film, I thought, despite like not having some of the heart of some later Ghibli movies. He's one of those guys that... He watches movie and he's like, okay, well, if this is his debut, he's going to be successful. Right, exactly. So, that's our number 11. Uh, it's a, yeah. What, what's the movie about? He's trying to, like, save a princess in the castle, basically? Yeah, that's what I'd say. And there's the whole amulet, I think, that opens up the clock tower? Something like that. I don't know. It's been a little while. Yeah. All right, number 10. Now, this I, is kind of tough. I'd say Porco Rosso. Um, I'm. Mm. It is tough. 
God. I, I, I really like Porco Rosso. <laughs> it's good. It's fun. They all are. Um, That's why it's going to be hard to rank. Yeah. I'm leaning towards Nausicaa, I think. How would you feel with Nausicaa in that number 10 spot? Um, Nausicaa? Yeah. I think that's fair. I... It, yeah. Um, I think it had a really good, like, sci-fi story. And uh, the characters were really interesting. I like how it was inspired by Dune. Yeah. Frank Herbert's novel. Uh, which I am currently reading. Nice. Yep. Yeah, we'll put that in our number 10 spot for now. I think it's still a very good movie. Um, has it has like it was pretty early for having a really strong uh, female protagonist in that in that movie. Yeah, considering it came out in like the early eighties or something. Mm-hmm. All right, um, number nine, we can go. Castle in the Sky. Yeah, sure. So Porco Rosso, number eight. Uh, I'd say so. So Castle in the Sky is about this boy who finds this girl who like falls from the sky. And then they end up going on this adventure to this flying castle. <laughs> but you didn't expect that. The castle yeah. is in the sky. Uh, very good adventure movie. Yep. S- sort of in the same vein as something like Nausicaa. Yeah, it's pretty similar. And then for our number nine spot, Porco Rosso. It's about this like World War Two pilot. Who's a pig? Yep, he, he's like a man turned into a pig, and um, voiced because, by Michael Keaton yeah, in, in the, the English dub. Yep, and I thought like that was a really good voice performance. Honestly, it was. I thought it fit very well. Yeah, um, the I thought this movie like at the end got a little less interesting. I thought the like the actual ending was pretty bad, <laughs> even. Yeah, that's fair. Pretty unsatisfying. And, like, like the actual full-on resolution was not very good, but uh, had some very good action with, like, the dogfighting scenes. Mm-hmm. Dogfighting meaning planes. The pirates. Shooting at each other, yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting movie. Um, then it's pretty it's, uncomfortable in the way that it yeah. had, like, a bunch of dudes swooning over a 17-year-old. Because of yep. the... Yeah, the legal... Well, yeah. Their anime tends to sexualize younger girls, mm-hmm. which is gross. Mm. But uh, yeah, that aside, very good movie. All right, uh, number six. We're looking at the second tier now with Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, Ponyo, and The Wind Rises. Now, for me, I think the Wind number rises. six spot belongs to The Wind Rises. For sure. Yep. Yeah. This was a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the dub has. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, John Krasinski. Yeah, Krasinski's in Martin there. Martin Short, right? Oh yeah, he played the guy that looks like uh, Edna Mode. Yeah, um, yeah. It was still a really interesting movie. This was about a man who it's like semi-biographical about a man who yeah, designs is airplanes. With yep, aeronautics. Yeah, about a man who designed airplanes, and it like does a really good job of depicting these like beautiful flying machines mm-hmm. and. Weirdly enough, it like uses like foley sound effects that are yeah made by made mouth. With the mouth yeah yeah like, like the <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah but um there there's it's it's the most recent Miyazaki movie and it has a lot of really interesting animation and there's like more advanced filmmaking I would even say like an audio match cut 
at one point where huh. it um oh yeah transitions like, from somebody like mm-hmm. writing or something to like a boat or something i don't remember exactly what it was but i mentioned it in my um letterbox review for the movie i think huh um it's i think it's actually a pretty sad movie too yeah yeah the relationship like a love story at the center of it yeah yep um another great movie again these are all great uh all right let's go let's choose that number five spot i believe yeah Hmm. no number six what do you think belongs in number six? Either Mononoke or Ponyo, I'd say. I'm going to say Princess Mononoke. Which is probably uh, somewhat controversial, but I I think that's where it belongs. This is... God, how, how do you describe this movie? It's it's the only rated um, PG-13 Miyazaki, isn't it? I don't know. Because of all the decapitation and gore in it. Um, yeah, it's about like... This whole environmental theme where humans are destroying forests with yeah. their Indu- urbanization, inter- yeah. industrialization. Yep. And uh, there's this mythical creature that they're willing to just destroy to fulfill those selfish desires of yeah. living forever or something like that. It does a really good job of like blending that like sort of Eastern mythology with um, environmental themes yeah, into a really interesting an story. interesting concept. Yeah. Great movie. One of the more famous Ghibli movies. Mm-hmm. So, Ponyo... I'm going to say Ponyo for the next one. If that if... Ponyo or is it Kiki? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go Ponyo. Yeah, I think Ponyo des- um, deserves that number five spot. Um, another very heartfelt story. Mm-hmm. I-, I love how like a lot of these Ghibli movies are just really heartwarming. Yeah. And this one tells the uh, like a tale of friendship between... Um, a, a little boy and a fish <laughs> and a fish who turns into a girl i think it's based on the same myth that inspired little mermaid uh i've definitely heard of comparisons yeah yeah so um that's a great one the dub has tina fey um matt damon, matt damon. very briefly uh, uh liam neeson liam neeson as the father of ponyo it's got kate blanchett oh as yeah the mom. yep another very brief <laughs> performance but those are all incredible actors. Um, all right, number two, Kiki's Delivery Service. This is one which I think epitomizes like low stakes, heartwarming Ghibli movies. It's about this girl witch who has to like goes to move to a new town in order to learn how to be a witch, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so she um, helps as like a delivery service. She yeah. starts delivering packages to people by flying on her broom, and it's very it's like a great portrayal of humanity it makes it's the polar opposite from something like never rarely sometimes always where we were talking about earlier where it has a very cynical view of humanity this is like very positive it has very Mm -hmm. positive relationships between people and friendships and another really feel-good movie and it is based on a book i believe is it okay yeah all right now we're on to that top tier the top three Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, and My Neighbor Totoro. This number three spot might be difficult. I honestly think it's kind of easy, but at the same time, they are all so good. Like, these are the best of the best. Right. I'm going to say My Neighbor Totoro for number three. I think I'll agree with you there. And that's hard. That's hard. Because, yeah, yeah, like you said, those are all incredible movies. But My Neighbor Totoro, in a similar vein to Kiki's Delivery Service, pretty low stakes 
um although their mom is sick and yeah that part is sad but uh another great example of just child like whimsy like it, it has that incredible creativity and imagination that reminds you of youth basically yeah and has uh, all these benevolent like magical creatures mm-hmm. around them in nature what an incredible movie and what i want to say about this movie this is like obviously one of the most famous japanese characters is totoro like you see this guy everywhere yeah, ghibli's mascot yeah the mascot and this movie is one of the most innocent and warm movies you could watch ever yep. probably um i believe the dub has the um who is it it's the sisters oh, the sisters the fannings oh. yeah ellen fannings dakota sisters. fannings um when they were both very young. yeah both as young children just it, it is it just it's gonna make you really happy if you watch it yeah another heartwarming one there's sort of that common theme now, for number two, I think we can agree, Howl's Moving Castle. Yep. This is one of the more, like, plot-heavy mm-hmm. Ghibli movies, and the dub stars Christian Bale. One of our favorites. And, yeah, one of our favorites. Billy Crystal, also. Um, a great movie about a woman who's turned into an old lady by a witch and goes and finds this moving castle mm-hmm. with this resident, like, wizard named Howl, and... I mean, I don't know how to describe this. It's one with incredible animation and creativity with as far as like these steampunk esque mm-hmm. like that devices. Very steampunky. And, yeah. Um, it's also written by. Uh, it's also a book based on a book. I mean, um, and just the characters, like the cast. It's all so good. You have Calcifer, voiced by Crystal, um, Markle. Um, Sophie, of course, the main character. Howell. Yeah, all very distinct, lovable characters. Yeah. Uh, oh, Turniphead, too. He's great. <laughs> yep. Um, it's just... Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies, also. Um, it's another Miyazaki movie in which a building moves. <laughs> similar to Castle in the Sky. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Very, very good movie. Um, Anything else to say about that? Um, it plays with really interesting like fantasy and magic elements too. Yeah, that's one of the ones that stood out to us as really like magical and um, super creative. And then number one, what else could it be? The only um, Japanese <laughs> Academy Award winner for best animated picture, I believe. Mm-hmm. Spirited Away. This is the first one I saw. I've seen it probably like eight times by now. <laughs> I've seen it like it's so three good. times maybe. It's so good. It's about maybe four. Chihiro. Chihiro. It's about Chihiro, a young girl who's moving to a new place, and while she's moving, her family stops at this abandoned amusement park, mm-hmm. and her parents get turned into pigs for being gluttonous. Yeah, and for eating food that wasn't theirs. So just yeah, and they, she's yeah. She has to free them by working at this bathhouse for a witch named Yubaba. Mm-hmm. And it's another one where it's... uh, One thing I love about Ghibli movies is that these characters that are set out to seem very villainous end up being... Just kind of of flawed. Yeah, they're flawed, but in a lot of ways, things aren't as evil as they initially seem. Yeah, they're kind of just, like, selfish. Yeah, and, like, you end up liking these Mm -hmm. characters who, at the beginning of the movie, seem bad. Yeah. 
it, it does a great job of humanizing everybody. <laughs> yeah, like there's Yubaba and then her sister. And No Face. No Face, yeah, I was going to say that one too. No Face, like, he's terrifying at parts. He's mm-hmm. just and chasing, then and then he he's calms a sympathetic down. character. <laughs> and then he's just knitting. He just wants a friend. <laughs> he's knitting in the grandma's house. Yeah. Man, what a great movie. Uh, Super calm. It has that iconic scene of just Chihiro and No Face sitting in the train. Yeah, and what a score! Yes. Man, we haven't talked about it, oh, but yeah, a lot we of these Ghibli movies... Joe Hisaishi, or yeah. Hisaishi, whatever. Incredible, iconic pieces of music for most of these movies. Yep. Just, they all fit the tone so perfectly. Oh, thank God. I was afraid I hadn't been recording this whole time. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. Incredible movies, all of them. There's our ranking. Let's let's go over it one more time from the bottom. Number 11, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Number 10, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Number 9, Castle in the Sky. Number 8, Porco Rosso. Number 7, The Wind Rises. Number 6, Princess Mononoke. Number 5, Ponyo. Number 4, Kiki's Delivery Service. Number 3, My Neighbor Totoro. Number two, Howl's Moving Castle, and number one, Spirited Away. And only three of those movies have castle in the title. <laughs> <laughs> man, just what, like, what a collection, yeah. man. What a what a discography to, to <laughs> and, have as a director. And uh, HBO Max just has all of these yeah. movies. HBO came in clutch when we were watching all these Ghibli movies, yep, for sure. Sponsored by HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Give me money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want to reach all, all, like... 20 of my viewer listeners so <laughs> all right that that's been kind of a long episode of the week critique yeah thank you for listening the critique show that's been anything but weekly <laughs> very irregular but we're we're working on it hopefully we'll have more time this summer to record some more episodes so and what other ideas for upcoming podcasts oh yeah, good okay. question that's a good one we we want to rank more directors filmographies like uh, Wes Anderson, David yep. Fincher will be able to do soon. Uh, probably a um, Bong Joon-ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so please keep listening. We really appreciate everybody who's gotten this far into the podcast. It means a lot. We just do this for fun, but uh, like the fact that people listen to this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it really means a lot. If you want to write in with any feedback... For us to read on the show, please write into theweekcritique at gmail.com. Remember, that's W-E-E-K, week. And you can find me on Twitter at Cade Marks. And on Letterboxd, my username is Cinemarks, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Anything you want to say before we leave it, Casey? Uh, just thank you for your support. My brother's made an amazing podcast, and thank you for listening. Oh, thank you. Uh, Watch more movies, play more games. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.